Welcome to Success Beneath the Surface, hosted by Deborah Fell, Managing Partner at Chief Outsiders. Deborah provides insights specifically for CEOs from growth-oriented companies. Hi, Tian. Good to see you. Thanks, Deb. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, I mean, you are a CEO, an investor, a board member, a mentor for many entrepreneurs and investor funds. I know you've been recognized for diversity and innovation, I think, multiple years running. And you also play a big role in the D.C., Baltimore area healthcare and technology communities. You're also founder and host of the Big Idea Connectpreneur Forum, which is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I wanted to have you here today. And even though we've known each other for a while, I have to ask you, how on earth did you get from where you started to where you are today? What's your story, Tien? Well, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you, Deb. And I love New Jersey, Jersey Shore area. It's great people, great, tremendous food. And I really am so grateful that I grew up in New Jersey. And um, I still have some good friends up there and family up there as well. So, yeah, so I grew up in New Jersey and we were in a small little town on the Jersey Shore, two Chinese families. There was us and we had the restaurant. The other family had the, had the dry cleaner. So, uh, you know, just a typical immigrant story. I went to Catholic high school, uh, played tennis. Uh, so I, I wound up going to college and I played tennis for one year in college and uh, went there as a pre-med, but I graduated as a political theory major. Oh, wow, those, exactly, are, those are sort of different ends of a spectrum. <laughs> you know, I think my whole family wanted me to be a doc, medical doctor. My older cousin, who's three years older, he went to Harvard and Harvard Med. So I was sort of following in his footsteps. And when I decided I didn't want to be a doctor, I took a lot of the prerequisite science and math courses. And I'm very interested in those topics. And I still am. Obviously, you mentioned earlier, we do a lot in the healthcare life sciences space. But I just, I wasn't super passionate about it. But I really liked philosophy, political theories, especially. And that got me hooked. So basically, that's what I majored in government with a concentration in political theory. And I had three startups in college. And uh, that was a nice way to make some extra money. And then when I got out of college, I did another startup with my best friend and that failed. And we learned a lot from there. Then I moved to DC to have a job uh, in commercial real estate sector. And then I got into law school and uh, went, I went to law school at night, but then I dropped out because I realized I'm doing this mostly to for the wrong reasons. And I was never going to practice. So, so I decided to end that and, uh, you know, got a job in commercial real estate investment and did that for a few years and realized, you know, I'm from a family of entrepreneurs where my parents are both entrepreneurs and my mom's dad and my uncles, they're all entrepreneurs. And that's all I knew growing up. So I just always had a feeling I was going to have my own business. So then I started my own business back in the fall of 91. And then you went on from there and started a number of businesses. Yeah, the business we started wound up growing to have 2,300 employees almost, 80 million in annual revenue. Yeah, it was a, we had offices in six different states in a global, it was a you know, global competition. The niche was, it was a tech enabled services business. So business process outsourcing and customer care. Today they call it customer experience. So that sort of was our area of expertise. We were one of the 10 largest privately held companies in that world and uh, sold it to a public company after 12 years Mm -hmm. we grew it from zero basically my partners and i yeah we got some private equity funding along the way Mm -hmm. sold it 
to a public company called ACS, which was then bought by Xerox. And now the company or the legacy revenue and a lot of our employees are still there actually, but the legacy revenue is around 3 billion. If you add it all up, it's one of the largest CRM contact center operations in the world. That's amazing. I mean, so it's not, it wasn't that it just lasted for 12 years and you sold it. It's that it is today active and generating huge value and returns and jobs. Yes. Around the world, not just in the United States, Mm -hmm. but uh, Mm -hmm. that's the best feeling is, is to see something that we helped, well, that we created, um, become part of a larger company, public company, um, and serve great customers and continue thriving. And a lot of the processes and reporting structures that we put in place at the very beginning and which we modified prior to selling the company are still in use today. So you weren't satisfied with just one company? Um, Well, after we sold, I wound up getting more involved in investment. So when I built CyberRep, which was the name of my company, Mm -hmm. we did buy two companies. We bought a company in California and we bought a company in Oregon. Mm -hmm. So... After I exited, I stayed on for a year to help with client transition and just company transition. I'm, I'm still, it's funny, from time to time, I'm still a resource to them, to my former people and also to the company on different things. And I'll always be, it's our legacy. But I, I started getting involved in angel investment. I invested in some venture funds. I invested directly in some companies. Uh, kind of did a little bit of everything. Wound up buying two smaller tech companies, one in the ed tech space and one in the cloud services space. So we did have some experience do buying companies. We bought three companies at CyberRep and then wound up buying a couple companies afterwards on our own, my partners and me. Yeah. So you, you sort of, you created a company with your partners, grew this company, sold the company, and then went through the process of buying more companies. So you know the ropes. On, on both the, the, the buying side and the selling side, what role did that play in your next pivot? Well, yeah, we found businesses that we thought had a lot of potential upside based on our networks and some expertise that we could bring to the table and customer relationships and even some people. So yeah. uh, that was sort of the thinking behind you know, buying these businesses. These companies were not 80 million in revenue. They were much smaller than that, but they were in different niche areas that we thought would be very good, like ed tech, LMS integration, learning analytics, for example, for Lumius. And then, you know, Lore was a, is, is now a government contractor for the most part. We, we did sell off our commercial portfolio, but at the time we were getting into cloud, cloud was getting hot and um, we wanted to jump off the trend. And those were the reasons we bought those businesses. And then you created Connectpreneur. Is that sort of what came next? Yeah, Connectpreneur was 12 years ago. And what so is what it? Yeah. What, yeah. <laughs> so it's a global community of investors and entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. service professionals. We have maybe 25,000 people have attended our events over the last wow. 12 years. Globally. It's global now. Yeah, we, we run the largest virtual investor pitch event. Mm-hmm. with between 300 and 1,000 people on each call. We do those monthly, although we're going to scale that back. I think we're going to do nine next year okay. um, because people are getting Zoom fatigue. And I think people are now, they like doing it online, but I think they want to do more in-person. So we were doing eight in-person events prior to COVID, and now we're back to doing eight okay. uh, in-person events but per you're year. But you're going to keep the Zoom. 
You're going to keep some Zoom. Uh, yes, we're going to keep the Zoom. Instead of doing 12 a year, we'll probably do nine a year. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. We've done almost 100 events total, including the virtual events. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like this year we will have done, I think, 19 or 20 events. So, you know, one a month on the virtual side and then I think seven or eight in person. So, and we're in Baltimore for the in-person. We're in, we've been in Howard County, Montgomery County, Maryland, D.C. Yeah. We do two a year in D.C. This year we did three. Uh, Northern Virginia, Tyson's Corner is where we started this thing. It was started as a way for people like myself to connect with others. So as an investor entrepreneur, I'm looking for other investors to co-invest with, other entrepreneurs, other opportunities. And there was nothing in this area, in the Mid-Atlantic area, the, you know, DC, Virginia, and, and the greater Mid-Atlantic, that, that was a forum where investors and entrepreneurs could get together on a regular basis and work together and try to um, create something. So that's what Connectpreneur wound up becoming. You know, initially it was just a meetup in Northern Virginia of a bunch of my investor buddies and a bunch of my CEO buddies, and we'd all get in a room and uh, spend a few hours together and, and we'd have some of this, the companies would pitch. Initially, we had co-investors from some of the companies that I had invested in, as well as CEOs of companies that I, I had invested in and their buddies. But we've had 1,100 companies present over the last 12 years, and half of them have gotten funding from investors that they met through the Connectpreneur platform. That's something we're very proud of. Uh, as you should be. And in the in-person events, don't you have like a couple hundred people usually attending these events? Yes. Pre-COVID, we had 400 to 600 people in person. Wow. And wow. post-COVID, the numbers are down, 250-ish yeah. to 300. Yeah. So maybe Even so, it'll no doubt grow as people get back into the swing of it. And then on Zoom, do you have that when you do your Zoom meetings? Is there an equivalency there? Yeah, it's been dropping. So in 2020, we had... Uh, our Zoom license at the time maxed at a thousand simultaneous users. So we had several events with a thousand people on and we run these as meetings so you can see each other. Yes. It's not a webinar where you don't know how many people are on. Right. Like we are very, very transparent about who's on. You know, you can see them on the Brady Bunch thing. Yeah. So, yeah. but no, I think this year we started dropping. So we would, you know, we dropped down to maybe 250 to 300 now is a pretty mm -hmm. good number, depending. Mm -hmm. Still the largest in the world. I mean, being big is great. We want to be the best in the world. Okay. So yeah. that's what we want to do. And yeah. I think we're there. We're getting there closer, hopefully, yeah. but uh, we are the largest and um, it's a great forum. I mean, it, it, the investors benefit tremendously. We're, we're you know, the, the alumni companies that are presented, I, I talk to two or three alumni every day, minimum two or three, sometimes all day, but they're in the family. They're in the community. Basically Connectpreneur is a community. And it really is a community. We have a Slack channel. We have 11 social media channels. We've got a YouTube channel with 600 or 650 videos of all of some of our alumni. And it's a resource for all of our companies that are presented and all of the investors that are part of our investor network. And we have 4,000 high net worth, high income um, accredited investors who have attended our events, who are invited to our private events and some, you know, rely on us to uh curate deals for them. So Connectpreneur is kind of the centerpiece, but it sort of feels like you have a lot of rings around that. You you have masterminds uh, <laughs> that we pr provide. I mean, talk a little bit, because I feel like there's several things going on with Connectpreneur yeah. in the middle. So when we created the community, and we didn't create it to make money, we just created it to, as a service, right? 
because entrepreneurs want money and there's no place they can go and investors want opportunities and there were very limited places where they could go. So that was the sort of genesis of the idea. And we've stayed true to that true north. You know, that's sort of where we're headed and will always be. And you know, making money is important now, but it's not primary reason why we're doing it. We still want to have an impact and we want to do the right thing and, and be the ultimate go-to resource on the East Coast and maybe nationally as a place where entrepreneurs can count on us to introduce them to a bunch of investors and investors can count on us to put the best presentations up on, yes. you know, up on stage. Yes. So I'm forgetting your original question. You have rings around connect. Oh, rings, yeah. You have ma so, masterminds so yes. and other things. Yeah. Yeah. So community. So uh, we have a community manager. We have an assistant community manager. We have a head of marketing. We have two part-time resources on top of them. So as part of the community, we wanted to say what what would make people love what Connectpreneur does. So education is one, right? So networking for sure. Entrepreneurs meeting investors is definite. Uh, entrepreneurs meeting other entrepreneurs is, is awesome. They can mentor each other. And investors meeting other investors is critical because they want to co-invest together and investors looking for great deals. So, um, but part of the circles that you're talking about, the rings around include things like, so we started doing master classes. We just tried it first. We had a couple of experts, uh, ambassadors. We have an ambassador program with um, like 80 or 90 ambassadors. I think you're one of them and Beth is one. And our ambassadors help promote our events to presenters, to investors, to the general public. Um, but we had a couple that had great ideas to uh, educate the group. So I said, yes, if you will not advertise, do any advertising, you provide original content and make it interactive, then we'd love to have you do a master class. Yeah. And we've done a bunch of them. We've got, I don't know, 30 or 40 on our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. we, we were doing them a little too often. At one point, we were doing like three to mm -hmm. four per month. Now we're doing one mm -hmm. a month, maybe. Mm -hmm. And it's all different topics, topics of interest. But I definitely want something unique. Otherwise, someone can just Google it and find it on right. YouTube. They right. don't need us for that. And it's got to be interactive. Otherwise, people just wait for the video to come out. So we want right. to make it interactive. So you're missing out if you're not there. And the no sales thing is definitely, that's the most important thing. And ironically, or as a, as a benefit, some of our masterclass instructors have gotten business out of it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when you don't sell, you generate more leads, you know, you yeah. know, this as a marketing person. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. We've tried some things that didn't work. We had something called founder Fridays where we would have office hours for myself and some of my team. And uh, we would do every Friday morning for a few hours. We'd have our, it's open to our alumni only. And we would do these Friday morning um, virtual coffees where we would talk about their problems and, you know, what we can do to help them. We did that for about eight, nine sessions. And then we decided to stop because we didn't think it was really beneficial. Yeah. But we have a Slack channel. So the Slack channel has got 4,000 people on it and people use it to communicate with each other That's and you know, hey, I'm looking to hire someone or, hey, what do you think of this investor? What do you think of this company? Um, you know, I'm coming out to San Francisco. Does anyone live out there? Can you want to meet up? So the Slack channel is a great tool for people to the community to stay in touch. And, um, and then we have multiple social media channels on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. So that's more of a long tail stuff. And because and, we're now a global audience it's good for people from outside the uh, DMV region to see how we're doing. Now, and now it's time for a quick break. CEOs need help growing their companies, but don't always have the time or money to hire a full-time chief marketing officer, CMO, or chief sales officer, CSO, or both. 
recruiting a quality full-time executive can take months, not to mention the ongoing cost. In these challenging times, CEOs need battle-tested growth executives who can help companies successfully navigate the uncertain waters. Partner with chief outsider CMOs and CSOs who will function as strategic operators to build and execute your growth engines. And we're back. You've had some events. So for instance, I know you had a healthcare, and it might've been healthcare tech, but I know it was healthcare conference up in, up in Maryland somewhere. I was able to attend that for a little while, but you had some, I, I remember you were doing panels. You had some investors who were talking to the entrepreneurs in the room about pitches. It was that's connected to Connectpreneur yeah, too. Yeah, that was part of the Connectpreneur forum. The focus there, because we were at Johns Hopkins, was a healthcare. We that's had right. a lot of investors that cared about healthcare. We have a lot of yes. companies that were presenting, and a lot of also we did one at uh, in in Rockville, Maryland, and that was a lot of healthcare, also mm-hmm. healthcare mm-hmm. investors, healthcare entrepreneurs. So post COVID, you know, most of the companies presenting at Connectpreneur in, in tech, different types yeah. of tech. Yes. But post-COVID, we've gotten more healthcare life sciences, health tech companies. I think that one of the few silver linings of this whole COVID pandemic is that people started coming up with great ideas to cure illnesses and uh, improve the human condition. That's one kind of good thing. So we've seen a lot of those companies come through Connectpreneur, whereas traditionally health tech, healthcare, and life sci would have been maybe 25% of our total. Right post-COVID, it's more than half. So it's really fascinating because you have, 12 years ago, you created this idea, Connectpreneur, and rings of ways to support the community, you know, as you describe it, have come out. But this is a major operation. You're doing all these events. They're world-class events. You know, they run on time. The trains are running on time. People are attending. I mean, I'm sure everything is not as perfect as it appears behind the scenes, but it's perfect. And so you're running a, an events business too, whether you call it that or not, right? It is an events business. We're in the events management business. Yeah, I mean, with the goal of helping investors find great deals and entrepreneurs find investors. The one thing I, and I wrote a Medium post about this years and years ago. I, when I started Connectpreneur, I wanted to create an event that was so good for yes. me. And the nice thing about Connectpreneur is I'm like the ideal avatar. I'm the target buying persona for Connectpreneur. I'm entrepreneur, technology, orientation, investor. I wanted to do an event that people like myself would never want to miss. That was the thing. It's got to be so good. I will never miss it. I will cancel my flights to go to this event. And I think that for people that are like my avatar, indeed, Mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. I'm biased, of course, Mm -hmm. but uh, it is a great event. It's it's been touted as the best event in the Mid-Atlantic by media and I think it is like for me, you know, it may not be the best event for someone who's interested in sports or interested in um, politics or whatever, but for people that are interested in technology, it absolutely is strong. Yeah. I know uh, we'll put something in the write-up of ways to reach you, but who should be reaching out to your organization to get involved in this community? Yeah, we're always looking for ambassadors, presenting companies, more investors to join. They can find me on Twitter, Tian Wong. I'm easily findable on LinkedIn as well, Tian Wong. And our community manager, Skylar, Skylar Rallis, and she's findable as well. 
yeah, you can just, if you want to be an ambassador, there's, you get free admission to our events and, you know, we don't have a heavy lift or requirement for people that want to be our ambassadors. So, uh, yeah, we're always welcoming more people to our community. So it's really, um, I think, amazing what you've built and you seem to extend that community in different ways. So what you haven't spoken about and I don't really see in your LinkedIn is that you are also a pickleball aficionado, <laughs> quite the competitor, I may say, not across the uh, net from you, but seeing you across the the pond there, you know, across yeah. the, the several nets. So how did you get into that and how does that fit into your business, if at all? Uh, well, it doesn't really fit into my business except that it's fun, but I'm a tennis player, always have been and always will be. And so I like racket sports. I, I played a year in college. I played all through high school. And even after college, I play. I still play uh, tennis. And then pickleball is the fastest growing sport in the U.S. So Jeanette Lee, our mutual friend, is addicted to it and started a group called P-Suite, which is for, instead of C-Suite, it's P-Suite. So C-level people who want to play pickleball, and um, she does these monthly events out in Northern Virginia. And, you know, I like the social engagement and the fun aspect of it, but it doesn't really tie into business. I don't own any part of P-Suite. It, it's just, you know, something that helped promote because she's a friend. And, you know, it's, I think it's a great sport and always looking to have people find new ways of having fun and staying healthy. So that's how I got into pickleball. <laughs> so, I'll, but I'll just say, you know, to tie it in a little bit to this conversation, you did invite me and I, I came out the one time and I, I should in full transparency say of the ranking of one to 34, I began as number 34. I ended the evening as number 43, but I was surrounded by people who seemed to appreciate me being there nonetheless. But you managed to just create a community there. So it's like, it's a thing with you. You just have this ability to create community, create conversation, get people engaged and interested. Is that, what does that relate to? Does that go back to your parents? Were they like that? Or, or did you just become this person? Not so much. I think, well, my dad had restaurants, you know, they used to throw parties, Chinese New Year parties and have a lot yeah. of friends over. I think the creation of community came out of necessity. You know, like we wanted to get a group of people to connectpreneur that it was out of necessity mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. um, and we didn't even care about the financial aspects it was like let's just get something going here and provide a service for the community and have something awesome that people would want to go to and i think same thing with pickleball like you know we don't have a community so let's go find some people that are interested in racket sports and pickleball and we can have fun and and um network and you know business is getting done by the way you know you have 40 to 60 people at every event and a lot of these People are executives and, and business is getting done, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I think that's, it's very organic. It's not really planned or strategically done. In some ways, I wonder if it would be as, quality would be as good and trust in the relationships would be as good if it were strategically done. In some ways, I love the fact that it was done organically. I love the fact that our community was grown organically over 12 years, by the way. So it wasn't like, poof, here it is. It's, you know, and, and I get, you know, just... Skyler, myself, our team, you know, we engage with the people in our group. So we talk to them. We have calls with them. We try to help them. And it's a different thing. I don't even know if there's an analog out there. I, I can't think of any other groups like ours, you know. I do a ton of Zoom calls every week with uh, alumni. Just uh, we don't charge. We're not consultants. We don't charge, you know. Yes, they charge a fee to present. And in, in return for that, they get permanent um, free admission to all of our events. They get introductions to investors. 
uh, I mentioned earlier, half of our presenters have gotten funding, but it's a permanent relationship. It's almost like a membership in a club kind of thing, if you wanted to think of something similar to it. But, you know, and for us, it's our baby. It's a passion project. Um, if I calculated our return on the hours we put in, it would be very, very low. But the financial return, but the sort of psychic return, the feel-good return, the give-back return is, is um, infinite. And it's been great for, for my brand. It's been great for the Connectpreneur is now its own kind of self-sustaining animal. It's got its own social media handles and things like that. So it's kind of, yeah, I, like, I mean, from an ego gratification standpoint, it's great to, to know that it's really well known around. I mean, that doesn't get us anything, but I, I feel good. Hey, you know, we were part of this thing and, you know, we helped 500 plus companies get funding. Yeah, I feel great because, I mean, think about the contribution to jobs and to technology and to, you know, I, we don't trace it. We don't track it. We have no idea. But I know just intuitively that if you help 500 companies raise capital, a lot of good has been done, you know. Not everyone's going to succeed, right? Some of them fail, but some of them get bought. But yeah, <laughs> that's nature the nature of entrepreneurship, of right? Yeah. 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 It's interesting, though, because when I sort of reflect as we're talking here, and you probably ran your businesses like this in terms of seeing the workplace as a community, and, and I'm thinking about perhaps what is the message here um, that you might have for entrepreneurs or even just CEOs who, who may listen in on this episode, that thinking in terms of the community, it's bigger than the, the person is more important than the specific job that they do whatever the activity is in the company, that there's more to it than, than simply showing up, leading the meetings, making sure the financial st statements are working to make the business grow as a community, create a place of impact for people, both in the company and in the community that surrounds the company. I mean, is that how you ran your businesses? Do you think there's something to that idea for CEOs of, of businesses today? Oh, definitely today, yes. I mean, you know, we live in a very, the world is smaller and smaller and smaller, you know, and we have technology that makes it really small. So if you're not building a community, um, then you're leaving, it's not a good move for you long-term. <laughs> Let's put it that way, because technology is going to hack everything, but hack, it's hard for technology to hack community and human-to-human -human contact. It'll be hacked at some point, but. I love that. Maybe what not in 10 or 20 years, but still, that, that's the last frontier is sort of for technology and tools to replace human to human true connectivity, right? But when I ran my business, it was different. It was centered around the customer. It was always centered around the clients. What do they need? How can we do everything to their complete satisfaction? Satisfaction wasn't good enough. It had to be make them happy, thrill, thrill the customer was sort of the approach we took. Yes. So we were very, very hands-on, my team and I, in making sure, and these are Fortune 500 clients, so so you know that from your days at Marriott, but we're working with Merck, we're working with Sprint, AT&T, Microsoft, huge brands. In fact, our entire, almost our entire customer base was Fortune 100 companies, but we were able to deliver for them because I knew that in some cases we had competition also helping these companies, I said, you know, yes. we have to be number one or number two vendor for every client. Otherwise we'll get fired, you know? So it was not just a survival thing, but also inside, maybe it's the restaurant background I had, but wanted to make them super happy. I want them to have an experience with us that is, they can't get it anywhere else. And um, 
with Connectpreneur, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Our presenters are our customers because they pay us. Our sponsors are our customers because they pay us. We want to deliver tons of value to our sponsors. Sponsors are doing it because they want leads. So I'll even go in and make personal introductions to give them leads. Yeah, I mean, like nobody, well, not nobody, but not a lot of people do it. But we have such a obsession with making our sponsors happy and making our presenters happy that we'll do that. And um, our investors are not paying customers, but they are constituents. So we want them to have a good experience. So we have to give them, introduce them to the best entrepreneurs or the best opportunities that are out there. So I think as long as we maintain a unmatched customer experience, to borrow the phrase from my favorite accounting firm, Forvis, that's basically what we're doing. You know, we want to have unmatched customer experience for all the constituencies involved with Connectpreneur. And I can't think of a better end note in this episode <laughs> than that, and perhaps a challenge to CEOs of other companies to, to look to do the same. Um, so thank you for being here today, Tian. Really enjoyed it. I learned more about you and I thought I knew a bit about you, but I knew I know your commitment, your passion, you know, that you are persistent and willing to go well out of your way to help people. So thank you for going well out of your way to join me here today. Oh, thanks for having me, Deb. Uh, my pleasure. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the seeing the video. And, and thanks for the opportunity as always. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Be sure to subscribe in all your favorite podcast apps. Just look for Success Beneath the Surface. Chief Outsiders, part-time growth executives with full-time results. <laughs>